hearts. Joshua chapter number 2 this morning, and I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. We'll read the entire chapter. The Word of God says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out of Shidom two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they be come to search out all the country. And the woman took the two men and hid them, and said thus, There came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. And it came to pass about the time of the shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out. Whither the men went, I wot not. Pursue after them quickly, for ye shall overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof of the house, and hid them with the stalks of flax which she had laid in order upon the roof. And the men pursued after them the way to Jordan under the fords. And as soon as they which pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate. And before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when ye came out of Egypt. And what she did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side, Jordan, Sihon, and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Now therefore I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that ye will also show kindness unto my father's house, and give me a true token, and that ye will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. And the men answered her, Our life for yours, if ye utter not this our business. And it shall be when the Lord hath given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with thee, Then she let them down by a cord through the window, for her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. And she said unto them, Get you to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you, and hide yourselves there three days, until the pursuers be returned, and afterward may ye go your way. And the men said unto her, We will be blameless of this thine oath which thou hast made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window, which thou didst let us down by. And thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head, and we will be guiltless. And whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be upon our head, if any hand be upon it. And if thou utter this our business, then we will be quit of thine oath which thou hast made us to swear." And she said, According unto your word, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed. And she bound the scarlet line in the window. And they went and came unto the mountain, and abode there three days, until the pursuers were returned. And the pursuers sought them throughout all the way, but found them not. So the two men returned and descended from the mountain, and passed over, and came to Joshua the son of Nun, and told him all things that befell them. And they said unto Joshua, Truly the Lord hath delivered into our hands all the land, 
For even all the inhabitants of the country do faint because of us. Let's read once more verse 12. Now therefore I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that ye will also show kindness unto my Father's house. Notice this phrase, and give me a true token. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the time that you've allowed us this morning. Help us to use it for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that each heart would be open under the preaching of your word and under the dealing of the Holy Ghost. And Father, that when we leave here, we'd leave here better off because we've met with you. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all that you've done. Save that one that's nearest hell this morning. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. I want to read to you a couple verses. We've read in verse 12 a very interesting phrase where the Word of God says that Rahab asked these two spies to give her a true token. That's very interesting language. You'll find that Rahab is one of the most fascinating of Bible characters. She had a deplorable beginning, but she had a glorious ending. She had a beginning that most folks would call the end. And yet we find that when she comes to the end of her beginning, she finds the beginning in the end. We find that whenever she met these men, these spies that were sent out, and they came in the name of Joshua, and they gave her a promise that her whole life changed from thereafter. There's not a whole lot of folks in the Word of God that are lifted up to epitomize a doctrine. Now, study your Bible, you'll find that's true. There's not a whole lot of folks in the Word of God who are lifted up as an example or to epitomize a particular doctrine of the Word of God. But you'll find that in two passages where faith is mentioned, the name of Rahab is mentioned. There's only one man that is mentioned in all three passages. Also in the book of Romans, the book of uh, that Abraham's name is mentioned. In the book of James, Abraham's name is mentioned. And in the book of Hebrews, Abraham's name is mentioned, dealing specifically with the examples of Old Testament faith. David is mentioned in the book of Romans, but he's not mentioned uh, in the book of Hebrews or in the book of James. By the way, Abraham's also mentioned in the book of Galatians. But you'll find that though David may only be mentioned once there in the book of Romans in dealing particularly with his faith, you'll find that the name of Rahab is mentioned twice in connection with her faith. Now, that's astounding to me. It's astounding to me that this woman of the most unlikely origins would be presented to us twice relative to her faith. Can I read those verses to you? It's very short. In Hebrews chapter number 11 and verse number 31, the Bible says... By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not, when she had, noticed this, received the spies with peace. In James chapter number 2, we're told again in verse number 24, or verse number 25, it says, Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out Another way. Now you say, preacher, that's not talking about uh, faith, that's talking about works. But in the context of James chapter 2, James is not presenting to us faith and works. James is presenting to us a faith that works. And can I say that it's faith alone in Jesus Christ. But if that faith is sincere faith, it will produce works after you have been born again. It's interesting to me that in the story of Rahab, The emphasis is not on her binding the scarlet cord. In fact, you'll find that outside of the book of Joshua, this scarlet cord is never the emphasis ever again. Now, let me say that that scarlet cord is important, and we're going to preach on it here in just a minute. 
But the thing that is looked to as her act of faith, as the expression of her faith, is in the way that she received these spies and then sent them out another way. Can I say that salvation is not about you doing anything, it's about you receiving the only thing that matters. It's not about you earning or working at it. It's not about you striving or seeking or through your strength trying to please God. Uh, we can't please God in our own strength. Hebrews eleven six says, but without faith it is impossible to please Him. Faith negates our strength. If we have strength, we don't need faith. Where faith is present, our strength has been exhausted. Our efforts have been made futile. And so we find that the only way to approach God is faith. Uh, Rahab was a woman that had approached God and by faith found favor with the Lord. Now, I, I told my wife, don't let this scare you, but I told my wife, and if you've ever preached or taught uh, or even grunted, you know what I'm about to say. I feel like I got more sermon than I got time this morning. Now, some of you just said, so what's new, preacher? But I want to just try to give you these things in rapid succession. They may seem a little scattered, but I'm going to trust the Holy Ghost to apply it to your heart. Let me say that when we see Rahab, we see a picture of the sinner. Her life and her existence was one of condemnation. Do you know that I see three ways that she was condemned? And they're the same three ways that the sinner is condemned. Do you know that we don't... Listen... We don't, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. It's who we are. Do you know that we're not waiting to come to the end of life to find out where we stand with God? The Word of God is very clear that if we've not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are under condemnation already. And so Rahab was under condemnation. I want to say, first off, she was condemned by her title. You know what the name uh, the the name Rahab means? Now let, let me tell you something. I, 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 there was a time in the Word of God when you named someone and it meant something. And I don't know what this means about Rahab. I'm gonna make a spiritual application. But do you know what the name Rahab means? Let me ask you something. Any of you ladies? Yeah. Now be honest. Now have you ever said, "Well, boy, I just don't like my name." At any time in your life, you say, "I wish I had a different name." You ever said that before? We got. One? Come on, be honest, ladies. Said, "I really wish I had." Well, at least it wasn't Rahab, because you know what Rahab means. Rahab means wide or broad. That's what Rahab means. Imagine growing up in grade school with that name. Amen. But you see, that's indicative of the path that Rahab was on. Because the Word of God teaches us that broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. You know, there's still more folks going to hell than there are going to heaven. And I don't say that to make it seem like we're part of some elite little club. I say that to burden us that folks need Jesus Christ. And we need to get busy about reaching them. Rahab, by her very identity, was condemned. You know that you and I, by, our very, by who we are, by our nature, we are condemned. We are born sinners into this world, and we are condemned by our nature. It's not just what we do, it's what we are. But I want to say she was not only condemned by her title, but she was condemned by her testimony. The Word of God tells us that Rahab was a harlot. Now, you can try your best to Hebrew that away, but it still means what it means. Rahab was a prostitute. She lived an immoral life. She lived a life of sin and a life of immorality. You know something I found? Every person that's born in this world is born a sinner. And because they're born a sinner, every one of them sins. It may be a socially acceptable and morally applaudable sin, or it may be the bottom of the gutter sin, 
But every one of us, we sin. You see, we deserve to die and go to hell, not just because of who we are, but because of what we've done as well. I hear folks say sometimes, you know, they'll say, well, you know, if we can just keep from sinning. Well, go ahead and try sometime. Go ahead and try sometime. The tr- and we say, we, we only think of sins of commission, you know. We say, well, I, we do like the rich young ruler. We say, all these have I kept from my youth up. I've never murdered anyone, you know. I've never, I, I've never stepped out of my spouse. I, I try not to lie. I try not to steal. By the way, how many times do you have to steal something to be a thief? How many times do you have to lie to be a liar? You say, well, but I ain't never murdered anyone. You ever hated someone? There's not a one of us. We be honest now. They haven't at some point felt hate in our hearts towards someone. Christ said if you hate a person, then you've committed murder in your heart already. Same thing with adultery. Well, I've never stepped out of my wife. You ever had a lustful thought? If you have, then you have spiritually committed adultery. Let me say, even if we've not spiritually committed adultery on our wives, every one of us has spiritually committed adultery on the Lord. So we find, we look at those sins of commission. But okay, go ahead. You've gone through with a fine-tooth comb. You believe your life to be spotless and clean. Let's ask about sins of omission. Is there anybody in this room say, I I pray just as much as God wants me to? Is there anybody in this room that could say, "I I witness just as much as God wants me to? Anybody in this room that could say, I never lose my temper. I never treat anybody unkind. I'm just exactly what God would have me to be. But it's not even what you are right now. It's what you've always been and always will be. Even if we could say, hey, I'm right where I need to be right now, most of us would have to admit that we've sinned in the past. And if we could look into the future, we'd find out that we're going to sin in the future. And you know the book of James tells us that uh, the Old Testament law is like a chain. You break one, you've broken all the commandments. It only takes one sin to condemn us before God. And just as Rahab was, so are we. We are condemned by our testimony. But let me say also that Rahab was condemned by her town. She lived in a place that was appointed unto judgment. The Word of God teaches us that the judgment of Jericho was unique. Only a few places in the world is this uh, statement made about uh, that not only was it an accursed thing and not only was it going to be destroyed, but God placed a curse on any man that ever tried to rebuild the place of Jericho. After the walls were about to tumble down, God was saying, I've wrote anathema over it, I'm done with it, and I'll never bless Jericho again. You know, this world is a place that's appointed unto judgment. It is appointed unto judgment. The Word of God teaches us that one day... And by the way, you know what they did with Jericho? This isn't even in my message. But you know what they did? They burnt everything with fire. When you look up into the heavens after a brisk rain and you see a rainbow in the sky, that's God's promise that He'll never again destroy the earth with water. But you'll find there is a destruction of this earth coming. And it's a destruction of fire and brimstone. See, before we get born again, we're citizens of this world. And as citizens of this world, we share in the condemnation of this world. You say, what do I do about that, preacher? You've got to get born again. That's what you've got to do. You've got to be born again of a heavenly father with a heavenly citizenship where your life is hid with Christ in God. That's the only way. So I see that Rahab was a picture of the sinner. But I want you to notice that, and I thought good and long and hard about this. Me and the Lord talked about it, and I prayed about it. And I see in these two spies a picture of the Word of God and of the Spirit of God. You'll find that these two, I like this. Notice first off that they were sent. But not only were they sent, they were sent out from Joshua. Do you know that uh, the name Jesus is the New Testament transliteration of the name Joshua? If you were uh, to uh, hear the name of Jesus spoken by Hebrew, it wouldn't sound like Jesus. It'd sound the exact same as when they'd pronounce the Old Testament name of Joshua. Joshua. 
And in a lot of ways, Joshua is a type or a picture of Jesus Christ. Do you know that when our Lord left this earth, and He did leave this earth, He ascended, He's seated at the right hand of the Father. I know there is a sense in which God is omnipresent. I'm not trying to degrade or dismiss that at all. But we know where Jesus is. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. I'm glad He's not here. You say, why are you glad about that, preacher? Because the fact that He's not here lets me know that He's coming back. Amen? So He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And we find that when Christ ascended to the heavens, that he left basically two things in this earth. Now, there is the testimony of the saints, but two tools through which his work would be accomplished. And one of them is the Word of God. You see, we do not have Christ present with us at this moment. Uh, I understand where two or three are gathered. Let's just put all theological discussions aside preach, amen. But uh, do you know that the Word of God teaches that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God? In John chapter number 1, you skip on down to verse 14. The Bible says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld His glory like as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The, the living Word, who is Jesus Christ, is synonymous in nature with the written Word of God. And not only did He leave us the Word of God, and by the way, it's the Word of God that does the work in the hearts of sinners. You remember when the rich man lifted up his eyes in hell? And I believe that was a literal rich man. I believe it was a literal hell. Amen. He lifted up his eyes and he, he told him, he said, send Lazarus back to, to preach to my five brethren. Hell will make a soul winner out of us if a sermon won't. Amen. Uh, you remember what Abraham said? said, they have the law and the prophets. Let them hear them. The Word of God, this this glorious book that we have perfectly and inerrantly preserved in the King James Bible without error, without mistake, without spot, without blemish. You say, how do you believe that, preacher? If I believe my Jesus is without spot and without blemish, if I believe that He could bear and become the sins of all of the world and bear it in a moment upon Calvary, then why would I think that man's hands could mess up my King James Bible? That's just foolishness. We use a little common sense. We can fix a lot of the problems today in the churches. I believe that it's absolutely perfect. I believe it's exactly what we need. And I believe it's what's needed for the sinner. But let me say also, he left the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches, he said, I go away, but I'll send you another comforter. You remember in John chapter number 7 when he lifted up his feast, his uh, voice on the feast day, and he said, Come unto me, everyone that thirsteth, and I'll give you to drink. And John said this, John said, This spake he of the Holy Spirit, which was not yet given, because Jesus had not yet been crucified. Do you know that when he died on the cross for our sins, and he rose in power and in glory upon the third day, that he ascended up into the heaven of heavens? The Bible teaches that he uh, first, well, we ain't going to get into that. I believe he first ascended into the lowest of lows and took captivity captive, and then ascended on high into the heaven of heavens and placed the blood at the mercy seat. I believe there the purchase was made of our redemption, and we were sealed with that earnest uh, spirit, the earnest of our redemption. Some of you old timers know what earnest money is. Earnest money is the down payment. It's the promise there's more to come. And so the Spirit of God is left for us. I see that they were sent, but I want you to notice, secondly, they were secretive. They were secretive. They were sent out to spy secretly. That's what verse number 2 says, sent out to spy secretly. Do you know that the real work that is done in the heart of sinners, it's not what gets blabbed from a pulpit. It, it, it's not some preacher getting up and snorting and stomping and sweating and, 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 and slinging his fist around and smacking folks in the face with a handkerchief. That's not really the work that gets done. I've seen men get up and do that. I've been, I, listen, I've got up and done that before, and God wanting a hundred miles within it. The work that has to be done in the heart of a sinner is that which is done in the secret place of the heart by the Word of God and the Holy Ghost. 
Then I want you to notice thirdly, this is just the introduction, hang on. I want you to notice that they went to the sinner. They sought the sinner. You're, not, you're never going to convince me that these two spies didn't know who and what Rahab was when they came to her front door. They went there, and you know what? I like this. You know what they did? They went in. Uh, the, the men came from the king of Jericho, and we'll talk about that here in a minute. Came from the king of Jericho, says, we know that men of the children of Israel came in here. Where are they? And uh, she said, well, you know, they came, but then they left, and uh, they ran out. That You know, they went out of the gate, and you need to chase after them, go get them. She had hit them up there uh, in the flax, of st- uh, the, uh, flax up on the rooftop. And uh, do you know that after the whole conversation happens, we read it in our text, but did you notice it? You know what they do. She lets them down out of the window. They go to the mountains and they stay there for three days. Weren't they sent to search out the whole country? But they didn't search out the whole country, did they? They came only for Rahab. Tell me that's not the providence of God. They came and the only, the only person they saw the whole time was Rahab. They came, they didn't see anyone. They came, they saw Rahab, gave her a promise, gave her a true token, gave her instructions, and left. That was the word. God already knew that he was going to... Do you think God needed a reconnaissance... I'll say it here in a second. A reconnaissance trip into Jericho? You think God didn't know just how many soldiers there were? You think God didn't know just how many chariots there were? You think God didn't know just how many bows and arrows and swords and soldiers were there? God knew all about it. There could have been ten times as many in Jericho, it wouldn't have made God nervous one bit. So why did God send them into Jericho? Because there was a harlot woman by the name of Rahab in the town wall of Jericho that needed the Lord. And the Lord sent someone to them. I'm thankful that the Lord sends folks to sinners, aren't you? I wouldn't have got saved. I, I, I wouldn't have got saved if He didn't come to sinners. And you wouldn't have either. Because sinners are in need of salvation. So I see these two are a picture of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. I want you to notice three things very quickly in this passage. Notice, first off, it's in, I, I thought I was done with my introduction. I may just get an introduction out. I don't know. Isn't it interesting that they went in by the door and they went out by the window? They went in by the door and they went out by the window. And you say, well, you know, preacher, that's not significant. That's just that, that stuff's incidental. That, you know, that kind of happened. No. No, because James chapter 2 says that she was justified by her works when she received them at the door and let them out another way. That's significant. You say, why is that significant, preacher? Because the door is significant in the Word of God. I believe that this door here pictures for us the conviction of the heart and the work of the Savior upon the heart. You remember what it says in uh, Revelation chapter 3? I know that it's dealing with the church. I'm aware of what it's talking about. But it doesn't change the fact that it presents to us as Christ on the outside knocking to come in. You remember, he said, I am the door. I am the door. It presents to us the confrontation and conviction uh, through the Holy Spirit of the person of Jesus Christ upon the sinner. But then what happened? They let her out by the window. You say, well, that don't mean nothing. It's just a window. Houses have windows. You've got to have windows. No, no, it's very significant because you'll find that the window in the Word of God is always identified with prayer. Do you know that the ark had only one window in it? And it didn't look out the side, it didn't look out the front of the ship, it didn't look out the back of it, it didn't look down through the bottom like in boats at the lost sea. It looked one way, it looked up. 
That was the only place that the window and the ark looked. That was significant for it told us that in the midst of this trial that Noah was going through, he could always look up towards heaven. Do you remember Daniel chapter number 6? I preached on it Friday morning in our seniors' ministry. Do you remember what the Bible says after the decree was signed, after the instructions were given, after essentially Daniel's life was condemned? The Bible says he went into his room and his windows being open in his bedchamber towards Jerusalem. He knelt down and prayed three times a day as he did a four times. You remember the windows in the book of Malachi? when it speaks about us giving and honoring God. And, you know, giving and prayer always go hand in hand. Always go hand in hand. The Bible says the Lord would open the windows of heaven. I think it's interesting because they came in by way of conviction and they went out by way of supplication. I've heard folks sit and fuss and fight and feud uh, about whether a person has to pray to get saved or not. Isn't that dumb? I mean, isn't that silly? Now, I mean, we can have all the theological discussions we want, but here's the reality. Uh, whether they want to say that they have to pray or don't have to pray, one of the first things that a baby does when it's born is the doctor smacks it and it lets those lungs loose. And the lost sinner, whether he gets saved in the moment that he repents and trusts or whether he has to pray, is really neither here nor there. Because one thing about it, if he really gets born again, he's going to pray anyway. We find these two things go hand in hand. Now I'm done with my introduction. Some of y'all said, well, good, give an altar call. I want you to notice three things. First off, we see that she received them with peace. Look in our text at verse number 3. The Bible says, And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they be come to search out all the country. And the woman took the two men and hid them, and said thus, There came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. We see first off the death of the flesh. Now, let me say, I'm trying to be very careful. I'm not, I'm not speaking of eradicating the flesh. I'm not speaking of sanctifying the flesh. Two things that you can never do to the flesh is eradicate it or sanctify it. Only Jesus can do that when he comes. That's the only way. But I'm saying for a lost sinner, they do have to come to the place where they're willing to side with Jesus against themselves. You know that she literally was risking her life by doing this. The king of Jericho had sent and said, Where are these men? We have to get them out. And she literally laid her life on the line. That's why there's such a discussion about it later. They said, uh, Our life for your life. Why? Because they knew that she was risking her life. I don't even know really how to preach it, but can I say there is a desperation that a sinner has when they come to Christ. It's not necessarily measured in tears. It's not necessarily measured in, 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 in the sweat that rolls off their head or in the way that their body trembles and shakes. But there is no question that a sinner, when he comes to Christ, he is acknowledging my way is not the way. I can't save myself. I can't do it myself. And I'm willing to give myself up to the Lord Jesus Christ. We see the death of the flesh. It's interesting that the king of Jericho sinned. You say, what does that mean, preacher? Uh, why is it so significant that she hid them and he wanted them to get them out? Why? Because it pictures for us the choice a sinner must make when the Word of God is preached to him. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, who's the king of Jericho? Well, if Jericho's a picture of this world, the Bible tells us who the God of this world is who hath blinded their eyes from the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You remember the parable that Christ uh, taught of the sower and the seed? 
and there's four different types of ground. Do you remember one of those types of ground? And by the way, it does not necessarily say uh, that the, the seed is the gospel. It says the seed is the Word of God. So this is true of me and you, just like it would be of the lost sinner. But the gospel, when it's preached to the lost sinner, uh, it gives us several different scenarios. One scenario where it's uh, thrown uh, in the wayside, and it takes uh, root for just a moment, but then it dies out with the sun. One in which uh, the, it says that it's thrown amongst the weeds and the cares of this life, grow up and choke it out. One where it bears fruit, uh, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. But then there's another one where it says it's thrown and the birds of the air come and scoop it up and take it away. And Christ said that's what Satan seeks to do to the sinner that hears the Word of God. See, she had a choice. The God of this world came to her and said, you give those men up. She said, no. She said, I'm just convinced that their king is coming out on the right side and your king's coming out on the wrong side. I'm not going to delve into mysteries that I could not relate to you, but let me just say that a sinner has, has some of a choice in how he receives. Remember what it says, because she received them with peace, the sinner does have some choice, some say, in what he does with the Word of God before he gets born again. You'll find some that'll come and sit in a service, and as soon as that preacher gets up, I mean, they'll love the singing, they'll enjoy the fellowship, they might even put something in the plate, but the preacher gets up, and they turn it off. They're letting the God of this world, they're letting those, those, those buzzards, those scavenger birds come along and pluck the Word of God out from them. You'll see some. Some folks, let me tell you something. I don't care what preacher it is. If you knew him well enough, you wouldn't want to hear him preach. I don't care what preacher it is. You knew him well enough, you wouldn't want to hear him preach. You see a lot of folks that they can't get past the fact that the preacher is just a human being with flaws and failures. And they sit there and the whole time they're sitting there. and they're, You know, that's why it's hard sometimes on smaller churches. I mean, I'm not, I'm not making an excuse, but, but it's hard sometimes on smaller churches. You don't have a lot of folks to delegate to. You, you don't have a lot of folks maybe to put in charge of stuff. And you know what that means? That, that, that means it feels like the pastor's always saying no. Feels like he's always saying no. Feels like anything that's ever done, always saying no. And you know that's a real danger because you know what the danger is? Folks sit in the pew with a heart of bitterness because something didn't go their way and they shut off the preaching of the Word of God. That's the God of this world trying to steal the preached Word from you. We find that there was the death of the flesh. But notice, secondly, in our passage... If I can get up here, amen. We see the death of the flesh, but notice the declaration of faith. Verse number 9, the Bible says, And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard, I like this, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you. There we find that testimonial soul winning again, don't we, in the Word of God? We, we know the Romans road, and I'm not against it. We know all these the A's and the B's and the C's, and I'm not against it. But let me say that there is nothing that can change or substitute for what the Lord's done in your life. She didn't say, oh, I know all of the Old Testament law. I see its theological beauty. I see all of the old... You know what she said? She said, I heard what the Lord did in your all's life. He sure must be God. 
I heard what the Lord did for the nation of Israel. She says, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. Now listen to this. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. There we see her faith. Her faith in receiving these men. You know what the premise of her receiving these men was? She had heard about their God and she knew that their God would prevail. What a picture of the sinner that has heard what God's done in the lives of others, that has heard how the Lord has saved the drunkard. Who knows? It could be that Rahab had heard the mercy that God had shown on somebody else. And she said, well, when those Israelites come by this way, I know they're God. I know He's going to prevail. And I better listen to these men. And I better be kind to these men because they're on the winning side. I want to be on the winning side. She had faith. She said, well, the Lord's going to come through and He's going to take charge of this place and His people are going to run this place. And I've heard what He's done, so I'll receive it. That's what the sinner does. He sits there and says, well, if the Lord could do for them what He's done for me, I'll hear what they have to say. I wonder how many that God's been able to reach because somebody was willing to tell about when their Red Sea dried up. Somebody was willing to talk about the two kings that God helped them to conquer. And some sinners said, if God can do it for them, He can do it for me. I'll listen to the Word of God. I'll yield to the Holy Ghost because of what He's done in their life. We see a declaration of faith. But then I want you to notice we see a desire for forgiveness. Look what it says in verse number 12. Now, therefore, I pray you swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token, and that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. She had a desire to be saved. I've never seen anyone get saved that didn't want to be. Never seen anybody get saved that didn't want to be. You know why a lot of folks don't get saved? They don't want to be. They don't think they need it. They're not interested in it. And so they don't get it. It's not because of their tax bracket that they, they file their taxes. It's not because of the color of their skin. Not because of the demographics of their family. Not because of the past that they've had. Because let me tell you something. God can and will save all kinds. But it's simply because they don't want to. The sinner has to want to be saved. Not just want to get out of debt. That's our problem. We live in such an entitlement mentality and, and such a, all this health and wealth garbage that is streaming across the TV waves that most folks only want a Savior that can fix their financial problems, not one that can save their soul. The truth of the matter is when a sinner realizes his need of Calvary and comes to Christ, he, ha, he is exhibiting a desire to be saved. We see that she received them with peace. Notice what she received. We see that she received a promise. Verse number 14. She had asked him in verse number 12. She said, give me a true token. Give me some proof. Give me something to look to as my hope and my salvation. And in verse number 14 it says, And the men answered her, Our life for yours, if ye utter not this our business, and it shall be when the Lord hath given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. Look at verse number 20. It says, And if thou utter this our business, then we will be quit of thine oath which thou hast made us 
to swear. With this promise, I want you to notice three things connected to this promise. And I'll go ahead and tell you the promise is that if she'd bind the scarlet cord and if she'd stay in the house, she'd be saved. But notice first off the honesty that it demanded. Lots of folks have trouble with these passages because they say, well, now, wait a minute. Now you're telling me Rahab had to do something. No, that's not what they're saying. They're not saying you have to hold out. They're not saying you have to keep this promise. You know what they're saying? They're saying, Rahab, if I found out that you've lied to us, then it's not on our head. You know that the only thing that salvation requires, and let's, I mean, listen, it all falls into this category, is honesty and sincerity. Some folks say, well, it requires repentance. That's right. And a person that won't repent and honest about their sin. Folks say, well, it requires faith. And it does require faith. But a person that uh, comes to the Lord and doesn't trust Him is not sincere or honest in their coming to Him. See, it can all be boiled down to sincerity. Or can I say it like the old preachers have always said it? If you mean business with Him, He means business with you. That's the only thing that's required. I, I don't, can I say that I am totally against totally one million percent against some of these preachers that get out here and try to put barbed wire around their altars. They're so afraid of a false profession that they have no professions. And the only folks they ever see saved are the ones that have been saved, but they preached them into being lost so they could drag them down an aisle. They've complicated the gospel. They've moved away from the simplicity that is in Jesus Christ. I don't don't believe in that nonsense. I still believe it's easy to be saved. Call it easy believism if you want to. But the reality is it demands sincerity. And, that, and that's the problem. Sinner, uh, preachers think that they can come up with some, some sliding scale, some measure to determine folks' sincerity. You know, the truth of the matter is, you don't know how sincere they were, but God knows how sincere they were. I like what one brother said. He's talking about a meeting they had where they had 20-something folks saved. Folks said, well, you know, brother, how many of you think got saved? He said, as many as meant business and came to Calvary. They're the ones that got saved. You don't know. I know about me, but I don't know about you. Not because of the way you act or behave. Now, some of you maybe, but but I know I'm joking. I, I don't know about you, but I do know about me. I don't. I, I I would listen if I. And I'm not a betting man. I don't have enough money to be even if I wanted to be. But if you were to ask me, someone that I'd say I really believe with all my heart that they're saved. I tell you, I believe that my wife's saved. But at the end of the day, I don't know. I don't know. That's within her heart. I do not know that. Salvation demands a sincerity and honesty, and the sinner has to come sincerely. Notice not only the honesty that was demanded, but notice the object that was designated. She said, give me a true token. They said, all right, all right, this scarlet cord that you let us out by the window by. You say, why does the sinner pray? Because he knows he has a place made holy and sanctified for him in the presence of God. That's why he prays. Uh, say, that scarlet cord, if you'll take it and bind it about your window, if you'll fix a place about your window, then anyone that comes into your house will be guaranteed safety. Surely it doesn't take a great Bible scholar to see that this scarlet cord pictures for us the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. Surely it doesn't take any great theologian to see that this pictures for us Calvary. What's the object? What is the thing that the sinner places his faith in? What is the thing when he says, I want a true token, I want something to look to? You know, it's not just faith. That's part of the problem is we've made faith the God in our society. Somebody will run for president and they'll say, well, he's a man of faith. Well, what does that mean? Faith in what? They're all men of faith. 
Usually faith in the almighty dollar. Usually faith in their own ability to, to, to manipulate the corrupt political system. Faith in the stupidity of the majority of voters. Yeah, they got faith, but that faith ain't going to get them anywhere. It's not about faith, it's about Jesus Christ. She had something worth putting her faith into. We see the object that was designated. But notice the opportunity that was dictated. I like this. It wasn't just for her. It was for anybody that get in. said, your mother, your father, your brethren, your sisters, any of them, if they'll come in this house, they can be saved. Can I say it's not about this house? It's not about your physical house. But there is, there is a place to where we go, that, that place, and we call it Calvary. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I understand the sinner's not physically and geographically going to the place of Calvary. But he's coming to that place where he sees Jesus Christ crucified as his only hope and as his only means of justification. And they come to that place. And do you know that anybody in your family, if they'll come? You know, a lot of folks have had problems with the Philippian jailers. The, not jailers, just jail. There might have been more than one. I don't know. There's more than one. He really wasn't doing a very good job. But a lot of folks have had trouble with that because the, the book of Acts says, and my house. And folks have done everything in the world to try to make that mean something other than it means. You know what it means? When Paul says, thou shalt be saved and thy house, it means you can get saved. And if your house wants to put faith in Jesus Christ, they can be saved too. Anybody, your family, your loved ones, the opportunity is there. The blood has been shed. The cord has been bound. There's a way of salvation that's been made. By the same token, it doesn't tell Rahab to go and drag them in and keep them there. They said, if they leave this house, their blood's upon their own heads. You can't make anyone get saved. Trust me, I know a lot that have tried. I believe in prayer. I believe in praying for the lost. I heard one fellow, he's real theologically bright, uh, but but (laughs) scripturally dim. And he said, well, you know, the Bible never says anything about praying for sinners to be saved. Never says anything. You know, he's one of these that thinks that, that God made up his mind, picked out his, his first string, his second string, uh, you know, somewhere yon, uh, in, in eternity past, and he decided. And, uh, you know, we, we, don't, we don't have any choice in the matter. You know that I find that, that, that God gives us choice in the matter. Amen? If any come unto me, I will in no wise cast him out. What about those that won't come to him? They've, they're already cast out. But they can come to him if they're willing to. He said, well, you know, it just never says anything about praying for lost folks. Well, that's, that's good. I mean, that's good. Except it's not true. Amen? Because Paul said, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they might be saved. You say, oh, now, preacher, wait a minute. That, that, you're talking about uh, the restoration of the nation of Israel to the land uh, of Israel. You're talking about some dispensational truths. No, I don't believe so because Paul also said, I could wish myself a curse from Christ for my brethren's sake. He's talking about individual soul salvation. He said, I'm praying for my brethren, the Jews. We see that the opportunity has been dictated. Let me give you a few things and I'll hush. Wasn't that a good introduction? We see finally that she was rescued from her perishing. Turn with me to chapter 6. She was rescued from her perishing. I like this, man. I, the Lord just, I just took a walk through these chapters last night and God just, just picked up stuff and threw it at me. Amen. Every once in a while it hit me in the head. I'd say, whew. All right, Joshua chapter 6, and look at verse number 20 with me. We find the end of the story, so to speak. It says, So the people shouted when the priests blew with the trumpets. And it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout, that the wall fell down flat, 
So that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, oxen, sheep and ass, with the edge of the sword. But Joshua had said unto the two, I like this, but Joshua had said unto the two men that had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house and bring out thence the woman and all that she hath as ye swear unto her. And the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brethren and all that she had. And they brought out all her kindred and left them without the camp of Israel. And they burnt the city with fire. And all that was therein, only the silver and the gold and the vessels of brass and of iron, they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive and her father's household and all that she had. And she dwelleth in Israel even unto this day because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. We have read the end of the story with Rahab. She'll be mentioned in the genealogy of Christ. She'll be mentioned in the book of James and she'll be mentioned in the book of Hebrews. But as far as the narrative is concerned, we've reached the end. We've reached the happily ever after of the life of Rahab. And can I say that for, for every person that's been born again, we see a picture of what lays awake for us. I want you to notice, first off, you ever read anything in the Bible and think, man, that's cool. I know that ain't pulpit talk, but you ever read anything in the Bible and say, man, that's cool right there. That's cool. I like that. I want you to notice, first off, that she was called away. You know, the Bible teaches that uh, if the Lord tarries is coming, every one of us, we do face death. But whether through the undertaker or through the uppertaker, the Bible teaches we're going to be called away. Joshua, you remember Joshua, he's a picture of the Savior. Joshua said, we're going to go get Rahab. And you know what happened? I, I, and, hey, you listen. I, oh, look what it says. Look at verse 20. So the people shouted when the priests blew with the trumpet. We see a shout. We see a trumpet. And they say, go get Rahab. That's the hope I'm looking for. That's the hope I'm looking for. Oh, if the undertaker comes for me, that's fine. But I'm looking for the uppertaker. I, I'm not, I'm, listen, I'm, I'm not looking to go by the clods. I'm looking to go by the clouds. And I'm looking for the soon return of Jesus Christ. We see she she was called away. Notice number two, she was converted. Verse number 25. And Joshua saved Rahab the harlot. Now, this is interesting. Alive. Now, now don't misunderstand me. There is a, a, a very practical and historical and realistic application here. Everybody else was dead and she was alive. But don't that seem a little redundant? You ain't done much a job of saving somebody unless you've saved them alive. But could it be that when it says that they saved her alive, they're talking about a different kind of alive than we like to think of. They were saying, we saved her alive. She's been changed. She knows what life is. Do you know that in the nation... Of, we're, we're, we're early in the history of, the, of, of Israel as a nation. You understand? As a nation, we're pretty early in it. And the law has been given. It's fresh on their minds. And do you know that a woman that was a prostitute or a harlot was to be taken out and stoned to death because of her iniquity? And yet the Bible says that she lived the rest of her day. When they wrote this down, they said she's alive to this very day that tells me a change had taken place in Rahab's life she had put away the life of the harlot she had put away her iniquity God had made her alive in a way that she had never been before she was converted from her sins then notice finally that she had communion she had communion she dwelt in Israel with Joshua 
Oh, my, there's coming a day. You know what the Bible says? And so shall we ever be with the Lord. What a day of communion (laughs) that that will be. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed as a musician slips to the piano, maybe God has burdened your heart this morning for a loved one. They're like Rahab. They're condemned by their title, testimony, and town. They've got no hope. And except Joshua sends someone by their way, they're going to die in their iniquity. Somebody that's in need of... It could be a neighbor. Listen, if it's your son or daughter or grandchild or, or, or your sister or brother, that's wonderful. You ought to pray for them. That ought to burden you even more. But, but it ain't just them. Maybe, it, maybe it's that person works at the gas station where you get your coffee each morning. You go in, you can see them, a life wrecked. You can see the heartache on their face. You know that there's something missing in their life. Maybe God's burdened your heart with that person who's your bank teller. And there they sit all dressed up in finery and formality as they're expected to do. But you can see a loss in their eyes. They never talk about the Lord. Christians talk about the Lord. They never talk about the Lord. Maybe God has burdened your heart with someone this morning, if he's done that, as she begins to play, would you slip out of your seat? Would you come pray for them? Call their name. Pray for them by name this morning. Someone that's in need of Jesus Christ.